it's like this balance, this yin and yang of when you open yourself up to witness and to accept the most amount of suffering, you also open yourself up to the most beautiful and the most positive things in life, I think. And uh, I, I do believe that and I, and I have experienced that myself. So. Christian Paraga, a.k.a. Chispofish here. In this episode, we will talk about awareness and how it can lead to changes, the challenges related to being an animal rights activist and why being different can have benefits. However, there are negative things that you can learn how to deal with, like aggressors. Now let's start with the show. Hello, hello, I am Christian Parraga and this is Kensho, Growth by Pain, where you can get experiences from guests hoping they will give you inside moments. Today I am with Alex Bess. Alex is the founder of a Canadian non-profit organization called AVO, Amazing Vegan Outreach, which focuses on providing professional learning and development opportunities to people who have decided to no longer harm animals with their food, clothing, and entertainment choices. He focuses on coaching and communication in order to help vegans and activists around the world better communicate a message, a piece of non-violence to all living beings, humans and non-human. Before starting AVO, Alex worked in sales and sales management for 19 years. When he left the corporate sales world, he was a director focused on leading sales teams and training his staff to be highly effective communicators. Alex, I'm really thrilled to have you here. Welcome to Kensha Podcast. Hey, Christian, how are you? Thanks for having me on. Thank you. And Toronto, it's a really nice place. Uh, how's the weather, by the way? <laughs> it, it is a really nice city. It's nicer in the summer. Right now, we are not in summer. It is quite cold. Uh, there's some snow on the ground, but I'm not complaining. It could be worse. <laughs> so uh, yeah, but it is, a, it is a beautiful city, beautiful people, and the summertime here is great. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. I, I will go and visit uh, Toronto one day. Yeah, let me know. Let me know if you come up here. I will. I will. Thank you. Uh, let me start with the first questions about the podcast. Uh, that is the hardest moment in your life and how would it help you? Sure. So, you know, I, I would have to say the hardest moment in my life is a very personal moment for me, uh, which I don't mind sharing. And it happened in 2013. My youngest brother, uh, so I'm the eldest of three brothers. And my youngest brother, when he was 18 years old, passed away. And it was very unexpected. He was, from what we all could tell, very healthy. He was involved in sports. Uh, he was very energetic. One day he was playing squash with one of his friends. And uh, on the squash court, his, his heart failed and he died uh, pretty much instantly on the, on the squash court. And so, of course, uh, losing a brother who I was very close to was extremely, extremely difficult. And I can't think of anything in my life that compares to that moment. So that was, uh, yeah, very, very tough. And you asked me how that moment had a positive impact on my life and what I learned from that. And I think that what you learn from going through such a traumatic experience and losing uh, a loved one, you know, something that really you can't imagine ever happening. That, that idea of losing a brother had never crossed my mind. In fact, I had always kind of envisioned a future 
where I had my two brothers and us growing older and having families and all, you know, all the, the things that you would normally imagine with, with siblings. And so it was, it shattered my world. And what I learned from it is that uh, one, I had uh, an even stronger family than I thought. I mean, we always, we always had a very strong bond, but in that moment we had to uh, be even closer and rely on each other for, for strength to get through that. I also realized how many friends uh, around us, um, how supportive they were and how loved, how loved I was and how loved our family was from the incredible outpouring of support. And later on, what I realized was that we, well, we all got through that. You know, we all got through it and we managed to find happiness again in our lives. And I think that when you see yourself go through something like that and get to a point where you can get past it, you can accept it, you can deal with it. Uh, it's really powerful. And it, it almost teaches you that really you can get through anything. You know, if you can get through something that traumatic, there's really no need, I think, to stress out over the little things in life, you know, and sometimes we look at these things that at the moment, at the present moment, seem very stressful and very difficult to imagine getting through. And often I think that because we focus so much of our stress and anxiety on that moment, we make it so much worse than it actually is. And we should always know that we can get through anything, I think. So that's, that's what I've learned from that experience. Well, yes, I imagine losing a sibling is really hard, I imagine. And no one is prepared because, you know, anyone can pass away any moment. So I think what you're telling us is really important because we, we think that the problems are really big, but they are not. And also living in the present, it's really important. That's why telling the people that you cared about them, that you love them, right? And thank you for sharing this experience. Thank you. Yeah, of course. I, I thought this will be related also for the... AVO you started. When did you start AVO uh, and why did you start it? Sure. So I, I actually came up, just to be clear here, I came up with that acronym AVO uh, because it spells AVO and AVO is short for avocado and obviously vegans love avocados. <laughs> so that was, the, that was the idea behind AVO. And um, I started AVO just over a year ago. So it was in February of 2018 that it started. It wasn't the first time I became involved in animal rights activism, but it was, that was the month that I started this organization and, and registered it. Ah, I know. I understand now the, the name AVO. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me the challenge related to being an animal rights activist. What are they and how do you deal with them? Sure. So uh, I mean, just to give you a little bit of background, I... You mentioned this in the introduction, so thank you for that. And you mentioned that I came from the sales world. So I worked in sales since I was about, I think, 18, 17, 18 years old. And I went through lots of different sales jobs from really horrible ones like uh, telemarketing and door-to-door -door sales uh, to retail sales and then corporate sales and then corporate sales management. And you know, I grew through my, through my career that way. And that's all I knew in my life. You know, it was, it was sales, it was communicating with people and I, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, and obviously with sales, if you're good at sales, you can make a lot of money with that. So there was always the, the financial incentive was, was always present in my life. And, and I, and I enjoyed that. And when I became vegan, which was seven years ago, 
Uh, and then later on, I decided to become active and actually uh, put time and energy and effort into helping non-human animals who, you know, suffer greatly at our, um, at our hands, at the hands of humans. Um, I think the most difficult thing was it, for anyone who's seen the movie The Matrix, it was, it was that idea of unplugging from The Matrix and becoming hyper aware of this really, really uncomfortable reality, a reality that I had participated in, that I had funded myself for about 30 years of my life, over 30 years of my life. And that awareness of pain and suffering, you know, it, it, it almost brings me back to that time when, when I lost my brother, you know, and it's this idea that it's so much easier to go through life being blissfully ignorant, you know, not knowing uh, you know, the impact of our actions or the effects that we have on others. And when I became conscious of that, and when I met these victims, when I met these animals face to face, you know, I, always, I thought to myself, I'm like, man, I'm, I'm an animal lover. I, I respect animals. I don't purposely torture or abuse animals. You know, I don't like dog fighting. Uh, I don't like anything where animals are being hurt. Yet, three times a day, I was paying people to do that. And so that awareness was shocking. And then when I became aware of how big the scale of that was around the world, how much suffering is happening at this very moment, it's heavy, you know, for people who care, for people who, you know, who feel for others, who have empathy, it's heavy to have that realization. And I know a lot of people who are in the same boat as me, who are really struggling with accepting and, and trying to do something about all of this suffering that exists in the world. So that's, Probably the biggest challenge is this this awareness of suffering. It is, it is. Because for me, personally, it took me a long time in order to make the change. I am vegan also. And oh, cool. Okay. Yes, yes. But the decision took me many years. It started with the awareness of the better food for our bodies is plant-based. It started uh, after the cancer I, I started to learn about what to eat, what not to eat, what are the things that it will help me and that. So it, that was 2007 and I became vegan last year. <laughs> so it was a long time for me to decide to make the big change. Uh, but it was little by little, that awareness that you're seeing. For me, it wasn't like big, a big click. It was slowly. But right now, We can understand that this awareness. We can understand that it, it is a big deal because we're living in a farm. Actually, in the world is becoming a farm, right? And besides that, pollution and everything, it is the hard that we're doing to the animals. So yes, it is really hard. And there are some people that they don't understand. What would you say? I think they covered the eyes. That is the hard part, right? That you're saying. What is the Worst thing that people will encounter uh, against this or will tell you because you're trying to do this? Um, I mean, what I've, what I've experienced over the last seven years is what I now understand to be a very natural defense mechanism that people exhibit when they see this or when they hear about this. And people resist Some people resist the, the information. They just don't want to know the truth because if they take the time to actually see what's going on inside of farms or inside of slaughterhouses, what 
I think they know they'll, they'll see and what they'll recognize is something that they are completely against. And if that's the case, because most people don't enjoy seeing animals being tortured and being brutalized and being stabbed and being killed, because of that, people resist the information. Otherwise, they would have to be forced to make a choice. And it's a very uncomfortable choice, right? When you recognize that there's something that you're participating in that you're against, well, you have two options, right? One option is, well, you just continue doing it because you like the taste of animals or you feel that it's, you know, culturally, uh, you feel pressure from your friends or your family to continue doing it. But if you do that, then in your heart, you know that you're a bad person, not because Alex says you're a bad person, but because you feel that this is wrong, right? So people, that's very powerful. When people, their internal values tell them that this is wrong, they don't want to feel like they're a bad person. Or the other option, which is what vegans you know, decided to do, is they take the option of changing their habits, right? So now you have to go and find a different way of nourishing yourself, of finding food, uh, which has, for most of us, pretty much everyone, has been moved into a subconscious, or I should say, unconscious part of the mind. And so it becomes very uncomfortable. This is why change is so uncomfortable for people, because you're taking something that now you've learned and you've put on this unconscious level that you can just do without thinking, right? Now you have to think about it again, and it's uncomfortable. Uh, and then you, you pair that with the concept of being different than others, right? We're a herd, we're a pack animal, humans, and we don't like standing out, most of us anyway. We like being somewhat similar, being accepted by our group. And uh, people are very quick to shun other people who are not the same. So if you are drastically different in your food choices, especially when this issue of morality, when their own conscience is fighting this like internal battle, they're very quick to push people away. So those are the challenges I think that um, I faced from people. And at the beginning, when I first went vegan, I really didn't understand why people were so defensive. And I actually got very upset and very angry. And I, and I had a, I mean, I don't mind saying it. I, I don't mind admitting it. It's, it's the truth. I had, I had this, I was very, very disappointed in humanity. And I, I, I hated people in a way, you know, I was very anti-human. And I thought like, how can we do this on such a massive scale? How can we cause so much pain and suffering? And I struggled with that for a little while until I started really thinking about the reasons why people were defensive. You know, when I saw a, a documentary called Earthlings, I'm not sure if you've seen it, uh, Earthlings just really shows the reality behind the uh, industries that you use animals. Uh, I instantly went vegan. I watched that documentary and it was like that. I just, I couldn't participate in that anymore. And I thought, how can people see this and not make the same decision, you know? So I, I struggled with that for a while. And then uh, I started relying more on what I learned through my professional career of communication and empathy and understanding people and, you know, and recognizing that not everybody has the same background, the same experiences, maybe the same ability to make these bold choices uh, because it is a pretty bold choice, especially knowing that you're, you're going to receive pressure from your friends and family. So anyway, that's, that's, the, that's how I would describe what the most challenging thing is about um, you know, activism, veganism, and some of the negative things that might arrive or that I might receive for, for choosing to live this sort of way. Yes, for sure. What was the name of the documentary, by the way, again? It was Earthlings. 
Earthlings. So uh, anybody who uh, is listening to this and is curious to watch it, it's free. You can just go online. It was made a long time ago, uh, probably oh, maybe something like 15 years ago, maybe t yeah, something like that, in, in a 10 to 15 year range, I think. Uh, but it is um, narrated by a famous actor named Joaquin Phoenix. And he has not just a, a great kind of captivating voice, but the, the script, what is narrated in this movie is, is poetic and it's beautiful and it's sad and it's real. You know, so if you want to see reality, this was, this was the first step, I think, that I went through to somewhat being unplugged from the Matrix, you know, and it sounds, it sounds, I know to a lot of people, it can sound maybe like conspiracy theorish, you know, like it's, uh oh, you know, but when you think about it, it's so basic, you know, it's so basic. These industries want money, right? We live in a capitalist world. That's what people, that's what, you know, industry wants. And what I have recognized is that when people see the videos of animals being treated the way that they are in those industries, they stop wanting to buy those products. So it's by design that slaughterhouses and factory farms don't have windows. You know, there's no glass walls. There's no tours. You know, we don't take our children to go to factory farms. We take our children to go apple picking and to pick some berries and fruits. We don't pick them to go stab animals in the throat because it's against our very nature. So that's uh, all it takes a lot of times is just people seeing this and the more aware they are, the more their heart kind of recognizes, well, I'm not, I can't continue supporting this. Yeah. And talking about being different, what are the benefits of breaking away from the status quo and being different from the rest of the society? So you said, what are the benefits? Yes, the benefits. The benefits. So I think that I think that the biggest benefit to me has come in the sense that I am now, like I mentioned, more aware of the, the bad side, I guess, of humanity, of the world. You know, when you see, it's so easy and it's so nice to think that the world is just positive, you know, and I think a lot of us create these um, stories in our minds to not focus on the negative and to just focus on the positive, which is natural. And that's probably a good thing in, in, in most scenarios, right? You want to focus on the positive. However, when ignoring the negative leads to more pain and suffering, which you're against, that's where I think you need to just at least recognize that, you know, you don't want to ignore this. And in doing so, yes, you feel more, you feel sad more, you feel frustrated more, but at the same time, you are now able to make positive change, right? So you're now you're able to do things, whether it's with your own choices and your own actions that lead to helping others or at the very least not harming others. And then uh, if you choose to be uh, an activist, for example, uh, you become more and more aware of the, the, the downsides to, you know, to this industry, the, the sad things about it, but you also meet other people who are working just as hard to make this world a better place. And you end up connecting with and, and, and forming relationships with the best people, the best people in the world, you know, those that care the most, that feel the most, that have the most genuine connections with other people. So it's like this balance, this yin and yang of when you open yourself up to witness and to accept the most amount of suffering, you also open yourself up to the most beautiful and the most positive things in life, I think. And uh, I, I do believe that. And I, and I have experienced that myself. So yeah, that's what I would say. 
And you said uh, at the beginning of this journey, you uh, almost start hating people. Uh, now you create empathy and understood why they don't make the big change. But if you could snap your fingers and change something in humans, what will that be and why? I think that part of the reason why I felt this anger towards humans was at that moment, I was unable to tap into my own empathy. And I think that what blocks our ability to do that often is our inability to recognize and manage our own egos. And so if I could change anything in humans, I would say that I would like for us as a, as a species to be able to better, I mean, I don't know if I, if I, I, I mean, eliminating the ego, I don't know what ramifications that would have on us and, and the way that we are. Um, my, my gut, without thinking about this too much, thinks that it would be a much more positive experience. But at the very least, at the very least, if we can, and this goes for myself as well, like I'm not, I'm not some Zen guru master that has, you know, completely overcome my ego, for example. Um, I, I struggle with this as well still, but I'm a much, I'm much better at it now than I was five years ago or, or even 10 years ago, especially back then. I'm getting better and better. Um, but if everybody in the world could recognize and manage their ego, you know, which often leads to doubt, self-doubt, insecurities, uh, which then manifest themselves in uh, sometimes, you know, and often forms of violence against others, you know, or even against oneself. If we can learn to recognize and manage our own egos, I would, I can imagine so many problems in the world being solved almost instantly. So that's what I would wish if, if, if we could have one thing change in humanity is that the ego would either disappear or at least that we would be able to, to, to manage it very efficiently uh, or I should say effectively. Well, that will be a great, a great change to many things. <laughs> it not only will help the animals, but it will be a big, big change because ego sometimes it's the root of evil maybe sometimes. But well, that's another conversation. And let me ask you, there are people that start to change their habits to plant-based or become vegan, but they are maybe afraid or maybe they have the misconception of making this change will make them feel sick or something. What would you suggest or how would be the easiest way to do this change? Yeah, that's a very common concern that I've heard from a lot of people um, that they are either afraid that by changing their diet, it's going to have negative, uh, a negative health impact on them uh, or that they just wouldn't know what to possibly eat. They couldn't imagine um, what they would eat if they aren't consuming animal products. And I would have, you know, I would have felt that I'm sure I felt the same way uh, eight years ago. You know, before I went vegan, I would have thought, first of all, that's, that's crazy. Um, that's not possible. I could never do that. You know, I would never want to give up my, my favorite meals, which were, you know, steak and, and steak and potatoes. I love lasagna, you know, uh, burgers and pizza. You know, I could never live without them. And on, on that note, what a lot of people don't realize is that you can still eat the same exact foods. <laughs> you know, I still eat burgers and pizza and lasagnas. I just make the vegan versions of them, which taste just as good, if not better sometimes, 
Um, and I know that I'm not consuming. So this is just from a personal health perspective. I'm eating all these foods. Now, the foods I just named are not the healthiest foods. So I don't recommend you build a diet around those. But uh, you can still treat yourself to those foods. And at the very least, you're consuming less bad stuff. You know, you're not consuming as much saturated fat, as much cholesterol, as much animal protein, uh, all these things that have negative, you know, proven negative health effects on us. Uh, we can, we can minimize those. And then on the other notes, you know, uh, worried about having a, a negative health effect on us, I guess it's tied into that. What I've heard consistently from people that have gone vegan at any age is the only thing they've realized uh, are primarily health benefits. And, you know, it's, it's great to hear that anecdotally. I know that there are also scientific uh, studies and, um, you know, if anyone's interested, they can look up, ugh, there's so much information online. One of the websites that is very uh, complete, I think, is a website called nutritionfacts.org. So that's a place you can look up lots of nutritional information on, on uh, plant-based diets. And, um, yeah, that's one of many. There's lots of good documentaries on Netflix as well. But um, for me, some of the strongest proof, if you want to call it that, is that so many professional athletes are starting to eat plant-based diets. You know, there are professional athletes from the past who won gold medals. Carl Lewis was a runner from the U.S. who was winning uh, gold medals, one of the best runners in the world. Um, off the top of my head, guys like Lionel Messi, uh, Novak Djokovic, uh, the Williams sisters, who are uh, elite athletes and winning you know, gold medals at the top of their game in tennis. Tom Brady, one of the uh, best quarterbacks of all time in the NFL. I mean, there are so many athletes, I can't even think of all of them. Uh, Kyrie Irving, another NBA basketball player. There's so many people who are starting to go that way. And my instinct tells me that all of these athletes that are doing that are not necessarily doing it because they have the same empathy for animals. I think that they're focused so much on being elite level athletes and being the best they can be. And they've realized through, you know, science and studies and other athletes that this actually has a positive impact on them. So when I think about these people in the world who are demanding the most energy, the most protein, the most, um, you know, the fastest recovery times after workouts, they're really stressing their bodies and they benefit from eating plant-based why wouldn't I benefit from eating plant-based if my needs, my demands on my body are less than that? You know, so that's the way that I, that I, uh, that I look at it. Um, and if someone doesn't want to have to go through the, I've done many, many, many hours of research uh, over the past seven years uh, on this topic. So I'm very convinced from the scientific literature. However, if you don't want to spend that much time, just look at examples, look at examples of people who are thriving uh, and dominating their sports on these types of diets, you know, and then think of the health benefits for you. And most importantly, I think, think of the impact that we can have on other living beings, you know, billions and billions of animals who are suffering and being tortured just because we like the way they taste, you know, and we actually have no need to eat them. We have just been conditioned since we were born and it's part of our culture you know, and I think most people can think back to other cultural norms, you know, many, many years ago that today we view as absolutely uh, awful and horrible, you know, that were accepted in society, that were legal as well. And so it takes, it takes this awakening, you know, people to just challenge themselves and really ask themselves, do I want to continue participating in this or can I take steps? You know, as difficult as it may seem now, 
you know, but you talk to anyone. I mean, I'm one person, but you talk to me and people ask me, so is it difficult being vegan? Not at all. You know, and I, and, and I'm not just talking about, I live in Toronto, which is a very vegan friendly city, meaning there's lots of restaurants and uh, vegan products everywhere. And when, when I say vegan products, what I do mean by that are replacement products for non-vegan products. So for example, if you want a burger, you can go to any grocery store here and find many different pre-made packaged processed uh, veggie burgers, right? But let's suppose you go to countries. I travel a lot. I've been to over, I think 40, 45 countries so far. When I travel, um, of course, there are some countries which are quote unquote less vegan friendly. All that means is that there's not as much processed food, but those countries, and so both my parents are South American. My mom's from Colombia. My dad was raised in Argentina uh, and, and I've traveled all over South America, for example. Um, what you find in those countries is that yes, you get maybe less processed vegan foods, but you get much healthier vegan foods that aren't processed. You know, you have all these tropical foods and all these tropical fruits that you can get there that you don't get in a place like Toronto. So if you ask me, I would much rather be living in a place like that that has less of the bad vegan foods, which would encourage me to eat more of the healthy foods. The rice, the beans, the lentils, the fruits, the vegetables. Uh, that is good, good fuel for us. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, amazing. And you should visit also Bolivia, as we were talking before. You will know uh, here the, the, mo vegan mo the vegan movement it is getting bigger and uh, there are places to it, but they're not so processed food as you were mentioning. So you will like them. That's great. Hey, you can eat healthier. You know, that's, that's really important. I think for, for ourselves, I don't judge people. If you want to eat unhealthy, that's fine. But um, you know, as I'm growing older, I'm, I'm 38 years old now. Uh, you know, I, I want to make sure that when I'm 40, 50, 60, 70 years old, 80 years old, 90 years old, I'm not dealing with, uh, or at least I'm minis minimizing my chances of experiencing any of those health ailments that would hold me back from, you know, being happy, from living and doing what I want to do, traveling, exploring, and, and, and whatever it is that I might want to do when I'm older. So. Alex, you're doing a great support with AVO, and I would like to ask you, what is the thing that you did for your success? It could be one habit, it could be a tool, what would, would it be? I wanted to make this pause in order to invite you to send some questions, suggestions of topics or improvements. Also tell me who would you like to be invited to the podcast. Contact me on Facebook or Instagram, just look for Chispofish, C-H-I-S-P-O-F-I-S-H or send me an email to christian at chispofish.com. Now let's continue with the interview. I think I can summarize that what, you know, if I think about what led to uh, success with what I'm doing and by success, I mean, I'm doing exactly what I want to be doing right now. I think it was just a little bit of courage to start something new and start something different. I had never started an organization myself ever in my life. So it was definitely a little daunting and a little nerve wracking to do that to leave the safety and comfort of a very lucrative and successful career. Doing that was difficult. Being different, you know, uh, no, there was nobody that was doing what I'm doing now in the animal rights space, really, uh, or at least in this niche kind of that I'm, that I'm focusing on. So I was the first one to do it. And that is difficult because it's scary. However, 
uh, I almost made the mistake of going a different route. I'm not going to necessarily go into details about that, but I almost went down a different route, which other people were already doing. And there were really, really talented people doing this. And so I looked at these people and I thought, okay, well, if I want to contribute to the movement, I should do what they're doing. And it was just in this one evening of, of brainstorming by myself, I was lying in bed thinking and thinking of what I could contribute to help this movement, to help animals. When it, when it dawned on me that I have unique skills and unique experiences that I can share with people. And so that's what I would, I would encourage anyone in the world, no matter what you're doing, to you know, use other people as inspiration, but not necessarily... You know, you don't have to follow in their footsteps, uh, footsteps, sorry, carve a new path and use your own personal experiences and knowledge and skills to deliver value to whoever you want to deliver value to, whether that's your employer, whether that's your friends and family or, you know, a, a nonprofit cause, uh, you know, social justice issues, whatever it is that you're fighting for, um, to, to look at it from your own unique perspective and then have the courage to go and do that. Awesome advice. It's good to be inspired, but not to follow, right? So you can do and manage your own path. And yeah. although, although I would also say that doesn't mean, you know, they say that uh, imitation is the best form of flattery. And there are people who have come before me who have done great things. And if I can learn from those things and let's say replicate them in a way so I don't have to reinvent the wheel on all aspects. Well, of course, we have to have that You still have to have your individual focus while pulling in information and even depending on others, right? Getting feedback from people that you're close to, uh, finding people who you might consider mentors and you know, running ideas by them, uh, through them and that sort of thing so that you are not alone, but you are still independent in your goals and your way of thinking, if that makes sense. It totally makes sense. Yes, yes. Yeah. And going to the uh, last questions, uh, what is the best advice you ever received? The best advice I ever received? Um, when I think back to advice, I guess, if you want to call it that, that I received that really had a strong impact on me and really changed who I am, it would have to be from a training that I went through a few years ago called Kingian Nonviolence Training. So Kingian referring to the philosophy and strategy of Martin Luther King through the civil rights movement in the, in the U.S. And this Kingian nonviolence training really instilled some new, I guess, principles in me as far as being able to be empathetic and loving towards people who were causing others harm or even causing me harm. So when you become an animal rights activist, right, when you make yourself so different from the rest of society, you're going to attract attention and you're going to attract some positive attention. And often you're also going to attract negative attention. And so people have been, you know, violent towards me. They've been violent towards me in, you know, in actions. So people have, I've been punched and attacked and, um, you know, uh, devices that I've had. Uh, I, I do a lot of photography and videography. People have tried to break and smash my cameras when I was trying to record Uh, things that were ha happening in that industry. Uh, I had a pair of glasses broken. Uh, I was uh, slapped in the face once at this uh, event where I was standing on the street showing videos of what goes on in that industry. However, that King Yanon's violence training put me in a state of mind where I could empathize even with people that were becoming violent because I understood where that anger and that defensiveness was coming from. And a quote that Martin Luther King, I mean, Martin Luther King has so many quotes, but one of the quotes that I think that really stuck with me from that training and, and the, 
the readings that I've done about Martin Luther King was that the methods that we use must be as pure as the ends that we seek. So if we're looking to create a world full of love and empathy and understanding, we have to be able to demonstrate that in the most difficult times. And what I'm doing is nothing compared to what they did in the civil rights movement when they were the ones who were actually the focus of you know, this blatant racism, beatings and stabbings and shootings and uh, incarcerations and unjust, you know, all these unjust uh, types of events happening to them and yet they still found love for their oppressors. And so myself, you know, as an activist, sure, I experienced some bits of violence here and there, some, even some online bullying and stuff like that. that. That's nothing. That's nothing compared to what, for example, the victims of speciesism, right? The idea that different species are lesser than and that we can exploit them and enslave them and abuse them because they're different species. Those victims are going through absolute hell right now on earth. And, um, you know, the very least that I can do, I think, is to have empathy for everyone and lead by example as best as I can. I'm not perfect by any way, by any means, but do the best that I can to lead by example and, and extend love and empathy to others. So that was the, the best advice I, I received. The best kind of training that I received in my life was through that uh, Kingian nonviolence training. That is amazing. But I find it sometimes hard. How can you manage or what did you change in your beliefs or what do you have you set in your mind or how, how did you do the change? Because I find it hard sometimes. Yeah, it's not easy. Um, I think it gets easier with time and with practice. And I'll give you, I'll, I'll give you an example of this, okay? Um, when you think about some of the worst things that are happening to the victims that I'm advocating for, animals, non-human animals, you know, The worst thing is arguably, I mean, you can maybe choose different examples, but arguably the worst thing is that their lives are being taken from them, right? The most valuable thing to these individuals are being stolen from them at such an incredibly high rate. So when you think about what the problem is, most people think about, well, slaughterhouses and who works in slaughterhouses are slaughterhouse workers, right? So these are the people who are physically stabbing animals every day, all day, cutting their throats and doing other horrible, horrible things to their bodies. And it's very easy for people who are sensitive to this topic to have anger and rage and hate focused on these individuals. And what I realized is that when we're, let's say we're at a slaughterhouse and we're waiting outside for trucks to arrive so that we can see the animals, so that we can pay them a little bit of respect, so we can maybe document and film a little bit and show the world the faces of these individuals, help people connect with the, with the animals. When we receive violence, and when I say violence, it can come in the form of somebody swearing at you, giving you a middle finger, um, uh, or it could be worse. You know, people have done worse things at, uh, uh, towards activists, sometimes even being physically violent. But when you think about it from the perspective of the slaughterhouse worker, let's say, who are these people? Uh, first of all, did they grow up as children wanting to work in a slaughterhouse? Was that their dream job? Or are these people who are generally marginalized? I know in a lot of the, the developed countries that I visit, they're often people that come from less developed countries who don't have the same economic opportunities that other people do have. So oftentimes they find themselves in a way forced into these jobs because they tend to pay more than other jobs that their qualifications would allow them to get. So they are forced into these horrible jobs where they suffer greatly 
Okay. People who work in these places do not walk out of there the same way. They have to shut off a part of their soul. They suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder. They suffer from drug and alcohol abuse. They suffer from much higher rates of workplace injury, workplace deaths, suicide rates. Um, I'm not sure if I said domestic violence. Uh, there's, there's all these, this whole issue with working in a very violent industry. And when you think about the individual, you know, hell, that could have been me working there if I had been born in a different place in a different time. There's an expression that I heard a few months ago that says, there, but for the grace of God, go I. So there, but for the grace of God, go I. Meaning that that could be me. You know, whenever you're looking at somebody else and you're, and you're, you know, you're thinking about judging them, that could be me had it not been for, for God, if you believe in God, or for luck, if you don't believe in God. But there's so many circumstances that could have turned out differently. And I'm lucky to be in the position that I'm in. And I feel that if I can help people get out of that situation, whatever way that might be, you know, I know that what's best for that slaughterhouse worker and best for the victims, the animals, although I would say the slaughterhouse workers are also victims of that industry, but what's best for everybody is for us as a society not to be doing those things, right? So when you focus on the solution and when you focus on empathy and understanding where people are coming from, it's easier it's easier to show compassion, to show love, to be more courageous in the way that we respond to violence against us and against others. Amazing. Great. Thank you. And to the flip side, what is the worst advice you ever received? That's a tricky question. I think that the, the best answer I can come up with is the advice that you hear since you're young from everyone, from society. And it's to be a certain way, to fall in line, to do what you should do, what you're expected to do, you know? And what I think happens is a lot of us lose our individuality. We lose our ability to think for ourselves, to decide for ourselves what we want to do and what's going to make us happier to the point where people don't even recognize that what they believe are decisions they've made aren't actually decisions they made. They were made for them. And so I was taught that my entire life. And I'm sure that there are still aspects in my life that still fall into that bucket. You know, what I've recognized is that areas of my life where I've started to take ownership and make my own decisions. So here's a perfect example. When people find out that I'm vegan, a very common question that people ask me is, so when did you decide to be vegan? And I like asking a question back to them saying, well, when did you or any of us ever decide to eat animals? We never decided that. That was something that was taught to us from birth. I mean, I was consuming animal products when, when I was in my mother's womb through her, right? And, and as I grew up, they were fed to me. I never made that decision. And it's something that is so, you know, people love debating this and fighting it online and, you know, defending their point of view when in reality, it's not their point of view. They've never really thought about it. They've never decided that. They're just going along with what they were taught. So the worst advice that I've received is just the idea that we should follow the status quo because it is and not think independently. And if you think independently and you see all the facts and all the information and you decide to continue doing something, that's fine. That is your decision. But most of us don't consciously make those decisions. So I would love for, for myself to be better at that, to continue doing that and for society as a whole to encourage more independent thought.
it is very important to understand that individuality it's something that was kind of lost or still lost because uh, I don't know I'll, I'll go with, with example of jobs there are people who hate their jobs and they are still working they don't know what to do and it's because they follow that right and it's one example and, and there are many but yes it's really important to have your own thinking and make your own decisions and Alex how do you see yourself in five years mm, how how Yeah, where do I see myself in five years? That's a tough question. To be honest with you, I, I know five years doesn't seem like a long time, and it's not really that long of a time. And I hope that, I mean, I hope that I'm able to continue building and growing some of this work that I'm, that I'm doing now. But it's difficult for me to say with any sort of accuracy because there have been so many times in my life where if you would ask me, where do you see yourself in five years? my answer and the reality of where I ended up were so completely different. And so I'm just someone who's always very open to new paths and new experiences and, and, and new things that it's hard for me to really say with any accuracy. But I really hope that I'm able to continue doing this work and helping, yeah, helping others. I mean, it's, it's the most fulfilling thing that I've ever done in my life. It's nowhere near the most financially lucrative <laughs> that I've done in my life. But that also shows me that money is not the most important thing in life. And um, I mean, of course, we need a certain amount to survive and to, you know, to survive, that's important. But, uh, you know, I've learned that the happiest people on earth are usually the people who have the least uh, and they manage to focus their efforts on relationships and people around them as opposed to things and stuff. Uh, so I've, I've learned that I've noticed that, that myself, I'm much happier. I'm much less stressed now that I really have much, much less, but, uh, I'm doing, it. I'm, I'm truly fulfilled in the work that I'm doing and the people who are in my life now. So, and yes, it, I really encourage you to keep helping more people. Uh, this side is really amazing. And if people would like to follow you or reach you out, what is the best option? Sure. So uh, if anybody wants to see more about the type of work that I do, the website for Avo is amazingveganoutreach.com. And through that website, you can see it links to all the social media channels that Avo has. They're all under the same name anyway, Amazing Vegan Outreach. And uh, you can message me on any platform there. You can contact me through the website. There's a contact form. There's, uh, there's, I mean, I'm sure you can figure out a way to get a, get a hold of me if you want to. And uh, especially if you are vegan or an animal rights activist and you're looking for some guidance or some support, I do one-on-one uh, -on -one leadership coaching. That's one of the services that I offer through AVO. Uh, as well as if you're non-vegan and you're looking to go vegan and you'd want some advice or some resources, I'm happy to share some of the websites and tools that I've come across that I think are really helpful. And uh, all of the services that I offer, I do um, in-person workshops. Uh, most weekends of the year, I'm doing workshops, two-day workshops on communication. Uh, I also do the leadership coaching I just mentioned, and I have webinars every two weeks, which especially for vegans and activists uh, are, are, I think, very useful. And you can see those on the website as well. You can sign up for those on the website. It's all done Uh, under a system called gift economics, which means that there's no charge. I don't charge people for any of these services. And uh, anyone who uses those services and wants to support them and continue 
or help me to continue offering these to other people are welcome to provide donations. And my entire uh, organization and my entire life right now depends on the, the, the support of the community. And so there's this nice exchange of, you know, free services and people willing to support that, that work. So yeah, please feel free to use any of those resources that I mentioned. Amazing. I will put the links in the description of the episode so people will contact you easier. And thank you very much for your time, for your knowledge and experience. Um, before we finish, do you want to say something else? No, first of all, thank you for, for uh, reaching out to me and for, for hosting this, uh, this podcast. I think it's really cool that more and more people are doing this. I hope that whoever's listening to this found it useful. And, you know, these are just some things that I've come across in my life. And I, I hope that they were, they were useful. I know that they're very useful to me. And um, yeah, you know, just thank you for, for having me on. And thank you for being vegan. I didn't know that before we started talking. So that's cool. Thank you for that. Oh, it's my pleasure. And thank you too, because uh, I'm sure this will help a lot of people that maybe is starting to make a little, make the click, um, have the decision or uh, find a way to support their, their new lifestyle. Thank you very much. And if there will be uh, any questions for the community, do you think it will be possible to have another uh, episode in the future? Absolutely. Yeah. If people want to send you some questions and they want to cover any other topics uh, or if, yeah, any, any, yeah, you name it. And uh, I'm always happy to, um, yeah, to join you for another webinar. Absolutely. Amazing. Thank you, Alex. And thank you everybody for staying tuned until next time. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you like subscribe and if you thought of someone who would be interested to hear this share, Remember that I'm giving my best effort and something that will help me is to know your opinion. Leave a review saying what caught your attention, what stands out for you or what will you bring into your life. Thank you and until next time.